Hey, so we're sure about the name of this, right? Yes, 100%. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Indubitably. (laughs) On this podcast, we want to tackle the most highly disputed issues that define our society today. Our goal is to present the best possible argumentation that exists on all sides of these controversies in order to facilitate what we believe can be intense, yet thoughtful and productive discussion. Hopefully, right? Um, we'll, We'll be covering everything from the right to bear arms, to does God exist, to even more important topics like, is a hot dog a sandwich? Well, it obviously is. Wait, you're joking, right? No, of course not. There's bread, <laughs> there's filling. Oh my God. We're going to be losing listeners before we even start this show. No, I mean, we're not diving into the controversy of pineapple on pizza yet. So I think that, you know, oh, we're safe. I bet you think cereal's a soup too, don't you? You know, I had the conversation earlier today. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, delicious. Great <laughs> oh soup. Okay. okay. Good uh, soup. Delicious, not a soup. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> let's do, before we kill each other, let's move into introductions. We've both been involved in debate for about 20 years. Oh my God, so long. (laughs) Uh, Ranging from being competitors to judges and educators in the debate community. Um, My name is Kelly. I live outside of Portland, Oregon. I hate talking about myself, but I love soccer, cats, and nail polish, and obviously great argument. (laughs) Um, And I'm Josh. Uh, I also love cats, even though I only have one that hates me, but that's okay. I like her. Uh, I live in Silicon Valley. Uh, where I provide communication consulting for business executives and politicians, uh, both of whom think they are exceptionally important. Uh, The goal is to teach these people how to speak on complex and controversial topics clearly and persuasively. Uh, Hopefully, I'm able to do the same thing on the show. Otherwise, I'll probably be losing a lot of clients, or at least I'll have a lot of questions. And I think, you know, based on that, I think that the ability to disagree with someone and have an adversarial but respectful and productive discussion on sometimes uncomfortable issues is a skill that's being, if not already, lost in the world. Absolutely. I think that people think it has to be confrontational. And I think that there's a way to respectfully get your point across and still walk away, even if you don't move anybody off of their position without hating the other person. Yeah, it gets borderline violent, or I guess the other op, uh, the other side of the spectrum is people just completely avoid these conversations, which I don't think is healthy either. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of people are like, I just don't want to get political or things like that. And advocating for what you believe in or learning about a topic that you're not yet familiar with does not need to be inherently political and doesn't need to be an unpleasant experience. Yeah, especially depending on when you're listening to this, but I, I suppose at the time of the recording with the holidays coming up, uh, maybe, you know, you and Uncle Pete, the discussions that are bound to happen over the Thanksgiving table, this is a useful skill for our listeners to be able to develop or have access to. Um, and I, I think perhaps one of the reasons that this skill is being lost is that there's there's no real forum for these discussions to take place anymore or no mm-hmm. no place for people to listen to them happen a really prime thing that is no longer in existence are things like, well, public discourse that would happen in places like Speaker's Corner in London or Mm. uh, people actually engaging in more, I don't know, coffee shop discussions, the intellectuals who would 
knock over a chessboard and yell at each other over a macchiato or something like that. That doesn't happen anymore. Does it, did it ever happen? Because I feel like I, maybe I'm just reimagining what happened in Frasier, but I, <laughs> I feel like it happened. I don't even know what a macchiato is, but I, I'm the, the imagery in my mind is vivid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's a, there's a few places, I guess, where this debate uh, supposedly takes place, but I think there's some pretty big issues with each of those uh, I suppose the first one is what people probably think of when they when they think of debate, which is presidential or political debates. The second one is probably the kind of discussions that happen on the 24-hour news networks. And last of all, you know, the pinnacle of debate, the pinnacle of discourse in our society, uh, the kind of conversations that happen in the comment sections on Facebook and other social media. The best arguments come out of Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, looking at those debates, I think that a lot of people would probably look to the sorts of debates that politicians engage in as being credible and how debate is done, quote unquote, correctly. Mr. Truett, and I I want you to know that also I will not make age an issue of this campaign. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. But there are a lot of things about it that really make it an unproductive forum for discussion. A lot of those discussions, a lot of those debates don't really actually engage with the arguments on either side. They more have dueling platform speeches and they don't really respond to specific points that each other are making. And there's no real way to kind of determine what the truth is during the debate, definitely. And afterwards, everybody has a different view of how the debate actually went down and whether or not X or Y person won, and it's just, it's kind of a mess. Admiral Stockdale, your opening statement, please, sir. Who am I? Why am I here? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right on all all counts. And, you know, to kind of filter through them one by one, the, the first issue that happens in a presidential debate that is less than ideal is, and this is so stereotypical, they avoid questions rather than answer questions. And the moderators don't do a very good job of holding the candidates to the questions that are being asked. Absolutely. It's oftentimes not responsive. You're responding or quote unquote responding to issue number one and somehow shoehorn in a a plank of your platform rather than actually engaging with the matter. And no one says that's not responsive. Get back on topic or anything like that. They're just, they're let they're allowed to do whatever they want in these things. And it's not good for the li- the the viewers, the listeners of this debate. And it's not good for politics in this country. And while this certainly happens in both parties in the U.S., uh, Democrats and Republicans alike, I remember so clearly when Trump was debating Hillary and they asked Trump about his plan to pull out of Iraq. And his answer was literally her husband cheated on her. <laughs> and everyone was like, what, what are you talking about? How does that have anything to do with the answer? And the moderator just kind of let it go. I think you can understand why that was the last presidential debate I watched. <laughs> I, I can't stand the format anymore. It's too frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not just avoiding the answers. It's also avoiding the contentions of your opponent. An appropriate debate there should be diametrically opposed arguments on each side that can be compared. And that just does not happen in a political debate. Yeah, absolutely. They're garbage. 
<laughs> well, let's see. Maybe we can find hope in our other two examples. So the second <laughs> example was the 24-hour news network. Better than presidential debates? Um, no. No. <laughs> no for I, different reasons, though? Yeah, it's like apples and oranges. So I think the bigger problems with 24-hour news networks is while they do tend to, I think, better stay on their topics, they also operate from this point of assumed credibility because they bring in people who are quote unquote experts, but they typically are either towing the line with whatever the the station or broadcast network's ideology is, or they're like caricatures of their position that are easily lampooned by the broadcast network. And so it's just ridiculous. Um, And a lot of the arguments, discussions, they devolve into yelling and name calling and fallacies this and uh personal attacks that and it's just an even more unproductive discussion i think than presidential debates but Mm -hmm. they're awful (laughs) what what it reminds me of i don't know if you're i know you like soccer i don't know if you're a fan of wrestling um not not the legitimate wrestling in the olympics but the fun wrestling if you smell what the rock is cooking and um, <laughs> everybody knows it's fake. And so they don't they don't actually call themselves. The WWE doesn't actually call itself a sport. It calls itself sports entertainment. And it's kind of a nod to like, yeah, you know, we do this thing, but everybody knows it's staged. Right. I almost feel like this is where a lot of news networks are going. They should be called news entertainment as opposed to news because so much of it is staged. So much of it is fake. It's there to pander to the audience and, and give them what they want to see rather than, you know, look for legitimate answers or present legitimate positions. Because right. sometimes that stuff's boring and that's not what their listeners want to hear. No. And I think that what happens is that because they are operating from a point of trying to entertain their audience and keep viewers They don't care about misinformation. They don't care about whether or not their audience is informed, but their audience is looking at them like, these are journalists. You have to, you know, get credentials to be a journalist. You have to have some sort of credibility to be a journalist. So therefore, there must be something worth considering in what these folks are saying. And it becomes parroted by a lot of people without really any critical inquiry about what is actually being argued. Mm -hmm. And one of the major claims to credibility that journalists are supposed to have is the idea that they are presenting an objective version of the situation, right? Mm -hmm. The objective truth. And I definitely don't think that's the case anymore. I think on one hand, you have news networks that strive to be objective, but in doing so eliminate all opinion and editorialization in an attempt to be objective and therefore don't provide the full scope of the story. Right. Any of these issues that we want to talk about, any controversial issue, it's not just the data. It's not just the numbers like there is legitimate opinions and legitimate editorialization to fill out that topic. Mm -hmm. But I think for fear of being viewed as subjective, they avoid those things. I think it could be resolved in 24 hour networks if they would just admit that they're editorializing when they are editorializing. Mm. Um, but <laughs> we have recommendations for these fools <laughs> later on that I'm sure will better address that than just labeling what portion of the newspaper they would fall into if they were in print. Right. And I guess that that's the other half, you know, the one half 
cuts down the editorializing as an attempt to be objective, but then doesn't present the full picture. And then the other half just explicitly <laughs> admits that, ah, yeah, you know, this is the side that we like. This is what we're going to talk to you about. And that's not, that's not good either. And no. this is something, this is something that you and I, to break the fourth wall quickly, this is something that you and I discussed was for, for our show, if our claim on this show is that we're going to be presenting the best possible topics on all sides, right? It'd be a lie to say that you and I don't have our political biases. So how do we justify the idea that we're able to walk that line and be objective while still presenting opinions and editorializing and, you know, including subjective thoughts on these issues? Who the hell do you think you are? Right. So this is where I think that our lengthy debate experience will come into play because one of the tools that I take away from all of that time I spent debating competitively is that in order to fully understand an issue, arguing it from all sides and arguing it in the best possible light in all sides and finding legitimate reasons why people might be opposed to an issue that I find to be one way or the other, being able to look at those things comprehensively and then determining my conclusion after the fact was one of the things that debate brought me, but it also means that I can still find ways to advocate for any side of any issue, at least in an argumentative thought exercise and, you know, still have my own opinion at the end of the day. And I don't feel like I'm compromising that opinion to engage with other sides of it. I remember somebody who joined our team one of the first times that they had to debate they had to argue in favor of commercial whaling. And they were like, I just, I can't do this. I can't argue against my actual beliefs. And then that person became one of our strongest debaters when they were able to understand that just because you can look at all sides of an issue and really fairly assess all sides of an issue doesn't mean you're violating some of your own principles. Uh, yeah, I think I had similar experiences when I'm when I was teaching debate you know, in academia, every semester, without a doubt, there would be one person who would ask the question, well, how are we supposed to defend something if we don't believe in it? And I think it goes back to the old adverb of walking a mile in someone else's shoes. And if you try as hard as you can to see the other side and actually argue for the side that you don't believe in, at the end of that experience, if you still believe what you did originally, you believe it that much more strongly because you've taken the time to examine it. You've taken the time to attack it and it has survived all of your attempts. And now not only do you still believe it, but you're able to defend it in a more effective manner than you, than you had before. That's one of the most important lessons that you can learn from engaging in debate, whether it's competitively or just academically or rhetorically. Right. And there are so many people who can't get past that holdup when it comes to talking about the things that they believe in. And I think that they're losing not only the ability to engage with people who disagree with them, but also a deeper consideration of what they actually believe and a better way to formulate why they believe the things that they do. Challenging others and challenging yourself, I think, is a fundamental part of self-exploration when it comes to figuring out what it is you actually really care about and why you care about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, that's one reason or one one 
justification that I think we have for why we feel we can be objective as we criticize other media for, for not doing so. And I think the second one is, for me, how someone comes to their opinion, the methodology that they use is more important than the opinion itself. Um, I would rather have somebody disagree with me and we come to that disagreement, both examining the premises we're building it on, examining the logical chain that we that we follow to get to where we're going and come to different conclusions than have them agree with me just because I said so or based on assertion. Even though that's the easy button, right? <laughs> to have <laughs> yeah. somebody just agree with you without really critiquing it too too harshly. It's well, it's the easy button, but it's not a productive button. It's that old saying, you know, if you if you teach a man to argue, they're able to engage in the real world. If you give a man an argument, they can go on Facebook. Which fittingly leads to yeah, our last cool. area. That was, was clever, huh? Was that, was that clever. slick? That was I'm slick. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Buddha said that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> said, said Michael Scott. Um, so <laughs> Said Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> that's right. So see if you guys get that reference. Um, so the last one was, uh, we, we've, we've lovingly called it citizen discourse. We've less lovingly called it the Facebook comment section. It's a, wow, it's a minefield. <laughs> it is a, a, I don't know, a, a wasteland of people sharing things without actually investigating whether or not they're true, arguing in the comment section, uh, all a pretense of credibility from, you know, presidential debates or 24-hour news networks is totally out the window because these are all individuals who definitely don't have any sort of credentials. Or if they do, if they do, why are they on Facebook arguing for starters? <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if you want to admit this, but I think you told me a story about um, your mom <laughs> under this category. <laughs> I went and looked to see if she still had that post up after I yelled at her too. And she does not. Mm. Um, but um, was it about a year or so ago that they decided to remove the Aunt Jemima? Oh God, if she listens to mm -hmm. this, she's going to be mm -hmm. so upset. <laughs> <laughs> I'll edit this part out. I promise. No, no, no. It's okay. You can leave it in. She knows. I was, she, I was going to anyway. Okay. <laughs> she, she knows what she did, but um, she shared a post, one of those memes that people make where they incorporate a photo of unknown provenance and some, you know, white text on a black background that apparently taking Aunt Jemima off of products in the, in the grocery store was erasing a real woman from history. And these were all of the things that she did and was known for. And now you've eliminated her. And my mom just like shared it. And I looked up to see whether or not that's true. And it is not at least any of the claims that were made on that actual post. And I said, like, you can't just share this type of thing. And she should know better. She should know better about the amount of misinformation that comes out of Facebook. Because a couple of years before that, she texted me to ask me, is it true that Charles Manson is getting out of prison? Mm. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, oh, I saw something on Facebook. And I'm like, <laughs> I can't, I can't be your personal Snopes mom. Like you can, you can Google these things and find them out. Like even a Google search would eliminate so much of what's wrong with the discourse on Facebook right now. It's very frustrating. Yeah. I know that uh, Gene Wilder dies every other week 
Oh, <laughs> that guy, <laughs> poor guy. Um, you know, but it's not, it's not, I don't, I don't want us to sound like we're only critical of the people who are on Facebook because the, the social media algorithms actually reinforce these problems, right? In order to make money and keep us on Facebook or Twitter or, you know, et cetera, as much as possible, they know that people in order to stay interested have to be presented more and more extreme and more and more polarized content. So the things that you see on Facebook are continuously moving in whatever direction you've given inclination to that mm-hmm. platform that you tend to lean towards. I actually yeah. just saw a TikTok of um, this woman who seems to be an actual legitimate researcher who put a fake account together that was exclusively interested in transphobic content. All of the videos that it watched, all of the things that it listed as interests were gearing towards transphobia. And within less than a day, it was exposed to like accompanying ideologies that many other people who express an interest in transphobia also might find favorable. Mm -hmm. And within like 24 hours, this fake account had been exposed to like the complete like neo-Nazi resurgence that's taking over a portion of TikTok that I frankly am very thankful that I don't see. It must mean that I'm a good person. But (laughs) it's it's true that the 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 whole motivation of these of these platforms, whatever they are, is not only to keep you but to escalate the methods that they use in order to keep you. And the more sensational it is, the more enthralled people apparently are. And it seems to work. Otherwise they wouldn't keep showing transphobes, neo-Nazi stuff. Mm -hmm. And with, I I think the number we'd have to fact check that, but I think the number is 83% of news is, you know, um, accessed through Facebook. Now it's hard to blame people, I suppose, for, for having some of these more extreme or, or less, informed positions. So yeah. I suppose the question is, you know, how are we Kelly and Josh going to fix Facebook? Um, <laughs> so I think one, one thing we, we say that the goal of this show is to present the best possible arguments on all sides of an issue. But one of the first things that we need to do is decide what qualifies as quote unquote, an issue or what qualifies as a debate, because you know, having the best possible arguments assumes that there's a legitimate point of controversy. So for example, there is in, in US society, I guess this is global, but there's the flat earth debate, which is not a debate. We are not going to be doing an episode about is the earth round. Um, but really, <laughs> I mean, if you want to, you can convince me. I thought that um, would, I thought that'd be like a really easy, you know, <laughs> a, a, a gimme. The the entire episode is the earth round. Yes. (laughs) Done next time on indubitably. Um, But, 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 you know, that would be considered that that's considered the flat earth debate and that label being attached to it, I think sort of lessens the importance of what a debate is inside of society. Moving on from that a little bit, the global warming, or I suppose now climate change debate, there is, there is not a legitimate debate happening about is climate changing, but that being said, there are legitimate debates within that, right? So the extent to which we have control over the climate changing could be a debate. And what do we do about it certainly is a debate. Right. And I think that 
people are going to say, well, obviously it's a debate because people are talking about it and arguing about it. And they can talk and argue about it all they want. But when you're coming from a position that really has no credibility, then there's no way to ever approach some sort of critical inquiry and fully investigate the topic because it's just impossible to delve into the positions of people who believe like imaginary things. It's not a, it's not a fair starting point. Mm -hmm. And as much as I would really like to tear down flat earthers or something like that, um, that's not a productive discussion because they can't be moved obviously Mm -hmm. by science because the science is there, but it's also, I think not an important conversation to be had. So once we've determined the facts and then we determine with, with all of the resources that we have, how to interpret and apply them, that's when the debate actually becomes useful. And that's when analyzing the arguments is actually worth doing, which is why I don't want to have any debates or analyze the debates whatsoever when it comes to whether or not climate change is happening. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that's arguable, even though people try to argue about it. Mm -hmm. Right. But, you know, as I said, there, there are plenty of legitimate debates within that topic Mm-hmm. Um, that that we 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 will tackle. Topic itself is one area where I think that we can hopefully do quality control. And then underneath the topic, the second area would be the arguments themselves, right? Translating poor arguments into good arguments. Um, mm-hmm. Even the most poorly presented arguments have some validity behind them. So, for example, I'm thinking of California or the Pacific Northwest declaring independence. Which, okay, as much as I know where you stand on this, Kelly, as much as you might agree with that, it's a pretty extreme position. Or if you're on the other side of this political spectrum, you know, Texas declaring independence. It might seem extreme, but there are certainly legitimate and interesting ideas within those conclusions, even if a more critical analysis might lead us to a slightly less radical conclusion. Right. I think we see on a lot of those discussions that people do believe them and believe them pretty strongly, but maybe the arguments they're putting forth don't actually have the full robust qualities that would make them persuasive um, Mm -hmm. on either side of the issue. And also if we're talking about the Pacific Northwest seceding from the United States, I promise you we're not taking California with us. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I thought the debate was about whether or not uh, Nevada should come, but apparently we're getting rejected too. Thanks. You know what you did. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what we did. It's the fires, isn't it? Which, mm. If only we had cleaned up our the leaves from the ground, the fires would not be <laughs> happening. All right. So let's assume we can accomplish all of those things that we have now promised to our subscribers. Um, all of that being done, what are the goals of our podcast? I think the first thing we'd like to do is for people who maybe have never heard these issues before or never known that there was a controversy at all, just giving people the information that would help them understand what these debates are and what the positions are on either side of them would be really useful. I don't think that that means necessarily they need to do anything with that information, but I do think that everybody needs to be more informed about what the major controversies are that people are talking about as we try to navigate society. Right. One one thing that I think it's important to note, and I don't know if your experience here reflects mine, but the longer I'd been involved in debate and the more of these arguments I've thought through, the less opinionated I've actually become. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I think people assume it would be the opposite, but it's not. So, you know, one of the things I think it's important to point out right off the bat is it is a perfectly acceptable thing to leave a discussion saying, I don't know. I'm not sure what the answer is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think if you are listening to arguments on either side of an issue presented in their best possible form, it's actually kind of a success if you walk away from that and you still don't have your mind made up. It really means that everybody was very evenly paired and given the same weight and uh, resources and time to discuss it. I think that would be, if people walk away, just knowing more, I, I consider that a success. Mm -hmm. So our goal isn't necessarily to convince people of one particular side or another. Uh, we're perfectly happy with with people, or even if people thought they were convinced before and now they have no idea when they leave the episode, I think that's probably a win too, because it definitely means that they've learned something, they've rethought about something. And, and for me, that that's a positive thing. Absolutely. Um, that being said, I think that another goal for the podcast or another legitimate outcome could be that now somebody who had an opinion coming into one of our episodes has that opinion reinforced. Um, that position that they held before, now they're able to not just continue to hold it, but also defend it more effectively if they engage in discussions about it in the future. This is probably where arguing with your uncle, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listening to this podcast might be uh, best utilized um, for those sorts of situations. If you're looking for tactics or any sort of um, critical thinking skills improvement that you might need to withstand, you know, somebody three eggnogs deep yelling at you about like immigration <laughs> right. or things like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no! Don't turn me at me! <laughs> Don't pull up! Oh my <laughs> lord! Insert, uh, we, we believe that X demographic are people too. Um, How dare you? How dare you assert that humans are humans? <laughs> Go figure. Um, and I guess I guess the last outcome that we'd be happy with is the one that probably most people think when they think of debate, and that's we change some people's minds. Maybe they do come into a topic uh, on either side. I don't actually care which which direction we change their minds in. But again, um, if we're able to present argumentation that's a high enough quality throughout the course of an episode that somebody does move their position on a particular issue, then I feel like we've accomplished something in that case also. I just have like one agenda here. I, I'll, I agree with you hundred percent. I don't care how their minds are changed, but if their minds changed, cool. But I do want people walking away thinking a hot dog is a sandwich. Oh my God. Cinnamon toast crunch. No. <laughs> um, all right. So if you're open to any of those three things happening inside of your head, then maybe this is the place for you. We'd love to have you join us in our exploration of the controversies that define your world. Hope to see you when our first episode drops. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>